So we're in Romans chapter 16, the last chapter in the book of Romans. I'm glad James agrees. <laughs> we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16. I'll just read it as we, as we go through it. That way there's only one opportunity for me to flub up all the names. You'll, you'll notice there are a lot of names in this passage. Turns out there are uh, 24 of them, 24 specific names mentioned, uh, two who are not named, and so there's 26 individuals that Paul mentions here. Uh, nine of them are women. Most of these 26 folks are Greek. Some are Jewish and some are Latin. And uh, all of them were known and loved by the Apostle Paul. And we'll, we'll talk about that later. Known and loved by the Apostle Paul, even though he had never personally visited the church at Rome. So either Paul had met these believers in other places, and some of them we know that's, that's true about, like uh, Prissa or Priscilla and Aquila, or um, they were pen pals, Paul had a writing relationship with these folks or a combination of the two. But in, in any event, however it was that Paul had gotten to know these individuals, it was obvious that Paul had a heart for people. So that's what we're going to see in this passage in which um, we see here Paul's greetings to his friends. He's bringing his letter to the church at Rome to a close, and he does so very personally now by sending along these, these personal greetings. Um, so the first thing that we'll see here in the passage is his greeting to Phoebe, this woman named Phoebe. So we read in verses 1 and 2, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sanshria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in, what, in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So Paul says, uh, I commend to you Phoebe. Phoebe was probably uh, the person who delivered this letter from Paul to the church in Rome. Paul probably wrote the, this book, so-called book. It was a letter. He probably wrote this letter to the church at Rome um, when he was in Corinth and uh, send it by way of Phoebe, who was the, the messenger. And in that case, assuming that's true, it would have been customary for Paul to include a commendation of her in his letter. She could be trusted to carry the letter and to do the other business that she had to do while she was there in Rome. And also you'll notice that Paul uh, calls her our sister, he doesn't mean that literally, as in it's his blood sister, but it means that she's a sister in the Lord. She's a fellow 
believer. She's a member of the family of God. And that's the way that it is. That's how Christians are. We're, we're, we're members of God's family. Um, men, male believers or brothers, female believers or sisters, collectively, we're, we're brethren, but we're all part of the family of God, and God is our father, and that includes Phoebe. And her name was Phoebe. It's a Greek name from Greek mythology, and so that's a pretty sure sign that she was a Gentile believer. She was not a Jewess. And Paul says that she was from Centria, and I think I have a map here, yep. So uh, Centria was a city about seven miles from Corinth, and you can see here on the map how close Centria is to Corinth. Um, it could be that that Centria actually included the church area of Corinth, or it could be that there was a separate church in Corinth. Whatever the case may be, it was undoubtedly during that time when Paul was in Corinth, he spent 18 months there. You can read about that in Acts chapter 18 on his second missionary journey, but it was probably during that time when Paul met Phoebe and uh, got to know her. And so between that time and when Paul had come to Corinth again, remember he wrote Romans from Corinth, Phoebe had become a prominent member of the church in Centria. And you'll notice that uh, Paul calls Phoebe a servant of the church in uh, Centria. And that word, the English word servant translates the Greek word diakonos. And uh, diakonos is used a lot in the New Testament, some 31 times. And um, most of the time, it describes just Christians in general. We are all servants. We all serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We serve one another because we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, we serve Jesus by serving one another. And there's a, there's a few times, uh, three, when that word diakonos is used to refer to uh, the office of deacon in the New Testament. We talked about this about a month ago or so, um, six weeks, when, when Brother Adam became a deacon in our church. And uh, we talked about the office of, of deacon. So those, those times in which diakonos refers to the office of deacon in the local church, Philippians 1.1, and then 1 Timothy 3.8, and verse 12. Um, but we should talk about this a little bit because, um, because Paul uses the word diakonos to describe Phoebe, and uh, it's not just that she's a servant, but she's a servant of the church in Centria, there are many folks within the Christian church that believe that Phoebe was an office holder in the church. In other words, she functioned as a church officer, as a deacon. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit. 
first of all, I would say that if all we had to go by was Romans 16 verses 1 and 2, that, that's allowed grammatically. In other words, the, the language Paul uses just in that passage could allow for Phoebe to be a deacon, an office holder in the church. But it's a basic rule of biblical interpretation that Scripture interprets Scripture, and you use more clear and specific Scriptures dealing with a particular topic to shed light on other passages that maybe aren't as specific and clear on a particular subject. And so here in Romans 16, because it's not clear that Paul is talking about the office of deacon, then we should interpret this passage, passage in the light of 1 Timothy 3, where it is obvious that Paul is talking about the office of, of deacon. And so I'll have you turn there with me as a reminder, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, Paul has just given the qualifications for the, the eldership, in other words, the office of elder. And in verses 8 through 12, he gives the qualifications for the diaconate, the, the office of, of deacon. And uh, I'll, I'll just remind you that we're all servants of Jesus. We're all called to serve. But then there are leaders in the church who help to organize and manage the serving ministry of the church. Those are the, the, the deacons. And who is supposed to be a deacon in the local church? Paul says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And those qualifications could apply to men or women. And deacons, like elders, uh, are to be examples to all believers of Christian character. But then it seems as if Paul gets really specific with respect to men and um, the kind of exemplary leadership that they're, they're supposed to show in their homes, verses 10 and 11, and 12 actually. So let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And, and some folks point out that the word wives there is a generic word that can just mean woman or, or women. But in the context, uh, Paul is describing these women uh, in the context of the deacon's household. So in verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. So if Paul is just describing uh, women deacons in general in verse 11, it's really awkward because he's talking about uh, men in the beginning and the end, supposedly. And the context does seem to fit that 
these women in verse 11 are the deacons' wives. And the, the deacons are, like elders, are supposed to manage their own households well so that their children at home are under control and their, their wives are um, dignified, not slanderers, but so, sober-minded, faithful in all things. And besides that, as any elder or deacon will tell you, uh, their wives are very important to their, to their ministry. So uh, I, I believe that 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 12 uh, is referring to men who hold the office of deacon. And so if we're going to talk about the office of deacon, we should look here where the office of deacon is clearly being discussed. And then when we come to Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, where, where Phoebe is described as a servant, I think it's best understood uh, to see Phoebe not as an office holder in the church, in, in the sense of 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 12, but she is a servant of the church. She was a, she was a trustworthy member of the church, a useful member of the church, a prominent member of the church. And it could be, we don't know for sure, but it could be that Phoebe was commissioned by her church in Centria to, to do this task of delivering this letter from Corinth to Rome and then taking care of other business there in the church in Rome. Maybe to receive donations for the saints down in Jerusalem because we, we know that uh, that's where the Apostle Paul was, was headed. And I know that there are good Christians, godlier and more, godlier Christians than me, more able expositors of the scriptures than me, who, who believe that women can be deaconesses, office holders in the church, and God bless them. I'm, I'm not here to criticize anyone, but you know, we, we, we need to be persuaded in our own consciences here locally, and this is what I understand the word of God to, to teach. But in any event, here is Phoebe, this very important woman in the local church in a culture that did not treat women that way. And it turns out that there are going to be more uh, women named by Paul in this passage who were not only close friends of the Apostle Paul, but useful servants, useful ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ in the church. And that, that is a very important lesson for us at, at the get-go. So Warren Wearsby writes, nine women are mentioned in this chapter, Phoebe, Priscilla, Mary, Trophina, Trophosa, Persis, the mother of Rufus, Julia, and the sister of Nerus. Some critics, so Warren Wiersbe, Wiersbe continues, some critics have accused Paul of being against women, but no man ever did more to emancipate women from heathen bondage and dignify them in the manner God intended from the beginning. Paul teaches that women have a special and important place in the ministry 
of the local church. It was that way in the, in the early church. It was that way here in the church at Rome, and it's that way in our church. We depend on our sisters uh, in the Lord to keep things going. You are the glue that holds the church together, and, we, and us guys know it. So thank you, sisters. All right, so there's Prissa, which is a shortened for, form of the, uh, I'm sorry, Phoebe. Now we come to Prissa. And Aquila, they're mentioned in verse 3. Prissa is a shortened uh, Latin form of the name Priscilla. So Paul says here in verse 3, Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Um, usually, especially in that culture, uh, when there's a couple, a married couple, the man would be mentioned first. Sometimes in uh, the um, New Testament's mentioning of Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila is mentioned first, but uh, Priscilla was a very prominent woman in the church in her own right. And uh, I think that's why Paul mentions her first here. We uh, first met, or Paul first met, Prissa or Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth. So keep your fingers here in Roman, Romans 16, and let's look back in Acts chapter 18. This is when Paul visited Corinth and made, uh, preached the gospel, made disciples and organized them into a local church, which is what his pattern was. And he did that in the city of Corinth. So in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 3, we're trying to uh, be introduced here to this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. By the way, we, since we have the map, um, there's, there's, there's Athens, so you can see that Corinth is a very short journey west of Athens, so that's why he went to Athens. Made sense. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because the emperor Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So that's where we get the idea that Paul himself was a tent maker. That's what Dr. Luke tells us. But so were uh, Priscilla and Aquila. They were fellow tent makers with the apostle Paul. Uh, so that's when Paul first met Priscilla and Aquila, skip down to verses 18 and 19 in Acts chapter 18, verses 18 and 19. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. So they were friends of his. They became friends. They had a common trade uh, they, were, they were Jews, and they became 
pretty close friends, so much so that the Apostle Paul took them with him on this journey. At Centria, he, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And he did that on his way out of Ephesus. So this is interesting, that Paul left um, Priscilla and Aquila at Ephesus to do the work of the ministry as he continued on his way on uh, the rest of his journey. And uh, that's an indication of how much uh, Priscilla and Aquila had won the trust of the Apostle Paul. He loved them, they were friends, and he trusted them. Skip down to verses 24 through 28. This is an event that happened in Ephesus when Priscilla and Aquila were there. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So these were not only committed friends of, of Paul, trusted by Paul, but they were skilled. They knew sound doctrine. They, they knew enough that when they heard Apollos, this very eloquent preacher, and he's preaching Jesus, that there was something lacking in his message, and it was the two of them who quietly, privately, it seems graciously, no doubt, came alongside of Apollos and, um, and helped him out. Uh, explained the way of God more accurately to him. And the text does say Priscilla and Aquila. It wasn't Aquila and Priscilla was in the kitchen making lunch or playing a support role. The language says that Priscilla was just as much uh, teaching Apollos the way of God more accurately as Aquila was. It was a team effort. So some insight there with Priscilla and Aquila. But then uh, back in Romans chapter 16, Paul mentions this detail about them that helps us appreciate them even more. So greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, verse four, who risked their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. They literally risked their lives for Paul. Paul needed help. Priscilla and Aquila helped them, putting their lives at risk 
in doing so. We don't know exactly what event Paul's referring to there. It could have been the riot in Ephesus that takes place in Acts chapter 19. But whatever it was, Priscilla and Aquila risked their lives for Paul. And then we we read on. So I give thanks for them, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. And this is a reminder of the real world in the Roman world. Um, Churches in 21st century America take it for granted, whether you rent a church building or buy a church building, we can get any building pretty much that we want or can afford, and there's no problem, usually. But we're not talking 21st century America. We're talking the Roman Empire. Um, We had, Paul has already mentioned how um, Emperor Claudius had ejected or expelled the Jews from Rome. Well, within the Roman Empire, Christians were considered a fringe group of Jews, a bit of a a cultic group of Jews. And so as hateful as the, or as hated as the Jews were, the uh, Christians were even more despised, and so it wasn't an easy thing to get a church building, plus it costed money, and it turns out that in the early church, a lot of the church members were slaves and didn't have much money, and so they depended on relatively well-to-do church members like Priscilla and Quilla to uh, meet in their homes. And so the home church or house church uh, paradigm that we see in the New Testament, that didn't mean that there was this separate way of doing church. So no one's in charge, there's no church officers, there's no sermons, People are just saying and doing whatever they feel like saying and doing, and that's the church, the the home church model. No, it just means it's a biblical church ordered according to the teaching of the apostles in the New Testament. It's just that they met in homes because that's what was available to them. Craig Keener, writing in the IVP Bible background commentary, is helpful here. He writes, small synagogues sometimes had to meet in homes before they could purchase buildings. Many Greek religious associations did the same. Churches did so for the first 300 years of the history of the church, using their income to buy slaves' freedom, feed the poor, and so forth, rather than to build build edifices. In Rome, many well-to-do apartments existed above shops in multi-story tenement buildings. Aquila and Priscilla probably lived above their artisan shop, which is very possible. They were tent makers, had a downstairs shop, and upstairs there was a church that met in their house. So there was a church dispersed throughout the relatively large city of Rome, And uh, one manifestation of that church met in their house, and Paul greeted them. So we've seen Phoebe, we've seen Prissa and Aquila. Now, 
There's just a bunch of believers that Paul mentions. So uh, we'll pick it up here uh, in the second half of verse 5. Greet my beloved Epinatus, who is the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. And no, this is not the virgin Mary. There are six different Marys in the New Testament. This was Roman Mary. And uh, it's interesting that uh, this concept of work comes up a lot in this passage. Here, the translation says, worked hard. And that's what the word means, to work to the point of exhaustion. That's what these early Christians did. And that's probably what endeared them to the heart of the Apostle Paul. They loved Jesus. They believed the gospel of which he wrote in this letter. And then they, they showed their love for Jesus and their love for the kingdom of Jesus, the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, through their faithful and committed hard work. And one such individual was this woman, Mary, in verse 6. Greet her. He goes on in verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, probably Jews, like the Apostle Paul, and imprisoned at some point, like the Apostle Paul would go on to be imprisoned. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Impliatus, my beloved in the Lord, which, by the way, that word Impliatus, I understand, was a common slave name. And uh, several of these believers were probably slaves. Verse 9, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Pelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian, so another fellow Jew of the Apostle Paul. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. They were really narcissistic. I promised myself I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> Greet those workers in the Lord, Trophina and Trophosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. And so, what a collection of names. I was chatting with, with uh, Brother Kevin Specht earlier. He mentioned that uh, he had read that because there's so many names Paul mentions here or, or that are mentioned at the end of this book that there are some more liberal commentators who think that this isn't part of the original letter. Because how could Paul know so many people? 
in Rome, a place that he had never actually visited. But this was several years later um, when Paul had written this letter. And um, even though Paul didn't actually go to Rome himself, we, we know that he did know some of these folks Personally, we saw Priscilla and Aquila. And just as Paul was able to write letters, they were able to write letters. So I don't think it's far-fetched at all that there were so many people in the church that Paul not only knew and loved. They're men, they are women, they're Greeks, they're Romans, they're Jews, they're slaves and free. And so Paul models for us in his own relationships what he wrote in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then finally we come to verse 16. Mutual church greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. So mutual church greetings within the church at Rome. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And that was a customary thing. But it's a reminder that we're supposed to genuinely love each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord, not just in theory, not just because we have to, but because when it comes to the brethren, the brothers and sisters, we have the same God and Father. We have the same Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. We've all been purchased by the same blood of Christ, We all love him sincerely and supremely. We have the same Holy Spirit indwelling us. We have the same chief end and goal in our lives. We want to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We want to see the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ spread and grow. We want to see sinners saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We have the most important things in common. And so whatever might be different about us, there is so much reason for us to love each other and to express that. Earlier in chapter 12 and verse 10, Paul wrote, love one another with brotherly affection. And Peter got in on the act. 1 Peter 5.14, greet one another with a kiss of love. It's probably more culturally normal for us to hug and to shake hands. But if you guys want to kiss each other, we, nothing we can say. It's in the Bible. <laughs> but, and I hate to get a little bit political, but seriously, um, this is another reason why there's no adequate substitute for doing church in person. During the, um, the pandemic, I'm thankful 
for how uh, several brothers really helped our church to develop and um, uh, improve our audiovisual capability and especially our capability of live streaming our services and putting them on YouTube. Have you ever seen our YouTube channel? We have a lot of our messages there. Um, and I'm really thankful for that. And, and I'm thankful that during the pandemic, we had that available. There, I got sick. Denise and I both got sick, and we enjoyed watching church on, on Twitch uh, and on YouTube. But as much of a blessing as that is, and as handy as that is to do church remotely, it's not a substitute. Um, the writer of the book of Hebrews would go on to say to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, which is the habit of some. So some things we can duplicate. You can, you can see and hear the message, but there's some things that cannot be duplicated remotely. The display of affection. We can't give one another a holy kiss through the television set, obviously, or the computer. But there's more than that as well. The Bible talks about the real presence of the Lord Jesus Christ among his gathered people in the church. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. And I know that, that I experience it, um, I think every Sunday, I'm trying not to exaggerate, certainly the vast majority of Sundays, I know that for me personally, the Lord visits me and he blesses me at different times during the worship service, singing songs that sometimes make me cry, uh, sometimes in the act of preaching, sometimes hearing uh, the scripture read or, or whatever, but we should never discount that spiritual dynamic. This is not a lecture. This is not a show. It's not a convention. It is a worship service in which the people of God who are individually spiritual stones are being built together as a temple of the Holy Spirit to offer up to the Lord spiritual sacrifices of praise and of thanksgiving. And when that happens, God draws near and he blesses. So don't ever shortchange the actual gathering together of the church. If you're sick, please stay home. If you can't be here, hey, no condemnation. But it should be the, the normal desire of Christians to gather together with other believers. So mutual church greetings within the church and then from other churches. Second half of verse 16. All the churches of Christ greet you. There were other churches who were aware of the church at Rome. Because Paul's going all over the place, almost single-handedly turning the Roman world upside down. And it seems that wherever he goes, he's, he's telling Christians, he's telling churches about the church in Rome. And so those other churches are praying for them, that they considered them to be their brothers and sisters in the Lord 
and friends. And so they sent along their greetings. And by the way, that's one reason why uh, we appreciate these prayer letters that are exchanged um, by churches that are a part of um, an association that we're a part of. We're about to become a part of two. But um, FIRE, Fellowship of Independent Reformed Evangelicals. And uh, they send out prayer letters from individual churches. And uh, this morning we prayed for Grace Bible Church in uh, Fenton or Felton, Fenton, uh, California up north near Monterey. We've never been to that church. Uh, lots of times we pray for churches that we, we had never met. Turns out I have, have met that particular pastor. But again, we have the most important things in common we're members of the same family of God. We have the same priorities. And so it's our joy to pray for other churches when we hear about their, their needs. And then it's also an encouragement for us when other churches pray for us. Uh, Kevin Gillette, by the way, is representing us this week at the um, uh, Reformed Baptist Network General Assembly, and he's bringing a, a prayer report on, on our behalf. So individual churches are not islands in and of themselves. We are part of something bigger than ourselves. And the Apostle Paul, in his church planting and pastoring ministry, modeled that. And so as we uh, consider this passage and we bring it to a close, there, there, there's one big takeaway from from considering all these names and this affection and this genuine love that the Apostle Paul had for these various believers of all stripes. And that is, if we love the Lord Jesus Christ, we will sincerely love other believers and cultivate close relationships with them. How many times have you heard people say, Jesus I like, Christians, eh, not so much. I don't like Christians. Well, Christians go along with Christ, and Christ goes along with Christians. Christians are members of his body. There's a body of Christ and it's part of our spiritual instinct when the Holy Spirit has regenerated us and taken up residence within our souls. It's part of our spiritual instinct as we love Jesus to love the people of Jesus as well. Jesus said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then John, in 1 John chapter 3, wrote this. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers, brothers and sisters, the brethren. We love Christians. That's how we know we've been born again. Whoever does not love abides in death. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for 
the brothers. Do you know what was really delightful um, this morning? There's lots of examples of this. Um, I was up front here talking with, with Brother Ron, and we both kind of looked in the back, and all of the seats were, it was like 10.30. All of the seats were empty, just about. You guys were all standing back there, fellowshipping, talking, enjoying one another's company. I think I saw a few holy kisses, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe I need to clean my glasses. But that's, that's just your instinct. No one's telling you to do that. You're not under orders to do, well, I guess we are technically. But that's the Holy Spirit working within you. The Holy Spirit enables you to recognize that's a brother. That's a sister. I love you. I want to spend time with you. I want to cultivate a relationship with you. I want to be a friend of, of yours. I want to share your burdens. I want to pray for you. I want to serve you. Let's lock our arms together and go spread the gospel and make disciples of all the nations and see the kingdom of Jesus Christ spread beginning in Jerusalem and then throughout California and then to the ends of the earth. Together, that's what the Holy Spirit does within us. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing within you. If you're not a believer, our invitation is simple. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not very impressive folks, and we know that. And if you've spent enough time with us, we're going to say something wrong. We're going to forget to do something nice. We're going to be rude. We're going to do all kinds of things that fallen people do. But Jesus Christ indwells us, and he has saved us. He's laid down his life for us. And it's true, we're not the kinds of friends to each other that we should be. But he has done a work, and we do sincerely love other people. And we love you. And we want you to know the same salvation that we know because we want you to know the same Savior that we know. His name is Jesus. And he has said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he promises that every single sinner who comes to him in simple faith, he will in no wise, by no means, turn away. Come to Jesus Christ today, be saved, and have your heart and life transformed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the heart of the Apostle Paul. And we know that Paul was a trophy of your grace because he hated Jesus. He hated Christians. He tried to destroy the church. And here he is expressing his love for all of these individuals, the likes of whom he previously despised. What a powerful and gracious Savior we serve. Would you help us, Lord, 
to grow in our love for Jesus and our love for the people of Jesus? Would you help us to be better friends, better neighbors, better church members? And Lord, would you do the great work, the miracle of salvation in the hearts of some who may be here today and who don't know you. May today be the day of their redemption. Do it, we pray, so that Jesus Christ would be magnified. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.